world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me, amo and Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Wendell's World of Sports. Shalom. Konnichiwa. Wassalam alaikum. Bonjour. Bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Recording this one week before the election. Get out there and vote in this country. Vote, vote, vote. Vote, vote, people of color, vote, people who have been disenfranchised, vote, people who have been abused, vote, people who have been the victims of police brutality, vote, people who feel that they need a change in their lives, vote, vote as if your life depends on it, because for a lot of us, it certainly does. So get out there, cast your ballot if you haven't done it already, vote, 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 at the very least, if things work out to the absolute worst, you'll have a right to complain and complain and complain for the next four years if we can make it for four years, depending upon who makes it into the White House. But yes, get out there and vote. Do your civic duty. Do your do what you need to be doing. Get out there and vote. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. So glad that you could be with us. I'm recording this again on a Tuesday afternoon. Man, I am pumped. I am fired up. I am ready to go. I have spent the last hour and a half. I was supposed to record this an hour and a half ago, but I started getting on a, like a long string of listening to Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. And the next thing you know, it was like, you know what? I want to end this by the start of the uh, World Series game so I can go ahead, do this, cut it, slice it, dice it, edit it, put in the music, do everything. Publish it by the uh, time the World Series starts. That ain't gonna. That ain't gonna happen now. Not because of uh, listening to Bernadette and standing in the shadows of love and sugar pie honey bunch and and, and uh, all the other beautiful songs that the uh, Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops sang. I should just say the Four Tops. Levi never wanted it to be Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. It was always the Four Tops. So yes, Levi and Obi and Duke and um, Obi Levi Duke and uh, Lawrence. Yeah, man, those guys have me rip-roaring ready to go. So while I'm going to be starting this and continuing this through the opening first pitch of the World Series, the best thing is that I, and I am I am ready to go, man. I'm ready to run through a wall, man. When you listen to uh, the Four Tops and some other songs, man, you're ready to... Man, you're ready to get out there and, you know, have try to find any female you can and have sex with them, consensual, and uh, just go ahead and do great things, man. And go ahead. You, you, you feel like you want to find a vaccine for every virus. You want to find a cure for cancer. You want to solve peace in the Middle East. You want to bring, uh, you know, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook back to being great friends. I mean, you want, you know, you want you want to resurrect the dead. I mean, you want to do anything, man. That's the way you, that's the power that you get when you listen to the Four Tops. Man, a natural high without any of the uh, without any of the bad stuff. So I'm roaring to go. So as I mentioned before, um, as I'm going to be recording this game six of the World Series is going to be happening. The Tampa Bay Rays in the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers hold a three-two series lead. I guess all of this nonsense about Clayton Kershaw. Look, some of it was warranted. 
the fact that, uh, you know, he was becoming this generation's Greg Maddox in terms of having an outstanding, awesome, unbelievable regular season. But whenever he got into the playoffs, that he would become mediocre at best. It was always a situation with Kershaw. He was never getting bombed. I mean, like someone like David Price. It was like the first sign of trouble. David Price was going to seem like David Price was going to fold. I mean, I don't know how many uh, starting uh, starts that he uh, went out there and didn't win a game before he finally turned it around a couple of years ago when the Red Sox won their uh, world championship. But, uh, you know, I mean, Clayton Kershaw was quickly becoming into that type of uh, pitcher. You know, a guy who was just dominant, unbelievable, but in the World Series and then the playoffs really didn't, um, you know, that success didn't carry over. Well, game five, he was magnificent, uh, you know, got into a couple of jams, worked himself out of it. Of course, the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, and their inability to to score, trying to manufacture all types of ways. I mean, they were playing Negro League baseball out there with those trying to steal home and all those types of things and been a good series, been an entertaining series, but I'm just glad that this nonsense about, you know, Kershaw being a choker, and has he pitched the way that many people felt he should pitch, especially after some of his dominant regular season performances? No, but just because that doesn't happen doesn't mean that he's a bum. As I mentioned before, he ain't giving up like eight runs and three and a third innings and walking, fo- walking four and all that type of stuff, but he needs to be great. He's just good. When he needs to be good, he's just average. I mean, he loses games where it's like he'll give up like two or three or four runs in one inning or an inning and a half or something like that. When he needs to have the Dodgers score like six or seven runs or even four or five runs for them to win, they always seem to only score two or three. And he'll have that one bad inning where he gives up three or four runs. And that'll be, you know, a loss on his ledger. So I don't think, like I said, I don't think he David priced himself in terms of his ability in terms of uh, his outings in important games during the playoffs, during the World Series and such. But I like to use the picture of uh, Greg Maddox, who, you know, during the regular season, Maddox was just unbelievable. But, you know, he's had his, I believe he was, what, eight and nine in his uh, career in the playoffs. So, you know, that's the type of uh, player I like to kind of, bring the example to when we're speaking about Clayton Kershaw and his pitching performances in the playoffs. But, you know, game six is going to be happening. It's going to be entertaining. I mean, the Dodgers should have won this series already. But you know what? It's been a good World Series. It's been a very good World Series. And I I, I guess you could say when I was watching the NBA Finals, I just got, got worn out. For some reason, the fact that it was in a bubble, the fact that there were no fans, just... I don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of wore me out. And I have to admit, after game two, you know, game three, four, five, and six, I was like, eh, you know, I watched, but I watched while I was doing something else. I really wasn't into it, and I felt it was fine. And I wouldn't say winning the championship for the Lakers was anticlimactic because it wasn't. I mean, a championship's a championship. I don't give a damn how it's done. And in the situation, in the circumstances, in the surroundings, in the environment that the Lakers won their championship, I mean, hell yeah, asterisk's my ass. Let me tell you something, for all you uh, Michael Jordan lovers who think LeBron James is shit and he ain't done nothing, he never will do nothing, and he's the most overrated player, and how dare you compare him to Michael Jordan and all that kind of bullshit? Let me tell you something, man. You think Jordan could have gone through that type of stuff and won a championship like LeBron did? Of course, we'll never know because it never happened, but, you know, when facing certain types of adversity, when facing different 
types of, you know, challenges, LeBron James has shown that he is more than willing to not only meet those challenges, but supersede them and expound and lift the team and his and um, his legacy to greater heights. So, you know, that's the whole thing about that. But yet, even still, with the championship, when the Lakers finally won, I was like, good, I'm, I'm ready for the NBA season to be over. Jeez, man, let's move on to something else. So the uh, playoffs in baseball, the World Series hasn't been like that for me. I've actually eschewed watching football on Sunday nights to watch Major League Baseball. And, man, you could have bet me everything that I've got, which ain't much, but you could have bet me everything that I've got that I would uh, never do something like that. But... You know, I don't have a horse in a race in terms of the Dodgers and the uh, Tampa Bay race, but I've just found this wildly entertaining. Even the long, um, even the, even even the long pauses in between pitches by the uh, by the relievers from both teams aren't seeming to be getting on my nerves as much. I'm seeming to be more in tune. I'm seeming to be more interested. I'm seeming to be more focused on what's going on than I have been as far as baseball is concerned in, I don't know, man, the last, what, seven to ten years in terms of my um, in terms of my focus to, to be watching an entire baseball game. So I guess you could say I've watched about from, for five games so far with the Dodgers, with the L.A. Dodgers and the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. I guess you could say that I've watched 85% of the games in terms of the innings and all that type of stuff. I've been away for a few innings and such to find out what's going on in football and some other things. But for the most part, my attention has been squarely riveted uh, riveted on the innings and the pitches going on in baseball. And as I mentioned before, I've gotten to the point where now, you know, you can probably count me in for a nine-inning game. You can maybe count me in for a third, maybe 30 35%, 40% at the very most. Depends on who's pitching, who's uh, playing for for a baseball to hold my attention. So for me to move that needle from 30 to 35, maybe 38% to uh I don't know 85.674835% think that uh shows how for me at least how interesting and exciting and thrilling the World Series has been between the LA Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. So I will be interested again Kicking back, watching the game tonight, uh, game six of the uh, Major League Baseball World Series. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Oh, yeah. Also forgot to mention, I guess I should do this like before I really get into uh, my sports talk. But uh, I haven't really been touching too much on what's going on in the NBA. NBA is my love, the NBA is my wife, the NBA is my everything, the NBA is my Halle Berry, circa 19, when did Boomerang come out? My, the Halle Berry, um, you know, the NBA is my Selma Hayek, the NBA is my everything, it's my wifey, it's my everything. But, uh, you know, since the season ended, and you know, some of the things that's been going down in terms of coaching changes and everything, really haven't been talking about that because the NFL's been on, this World Series has been on, I've been kind of coming down, I've been... Uh, you know, coming down from watching the NBA, it's been a long, it was a long, long season, so I'm really not yet ready to uh, get back into it, but I know with everything that's been happening with the coaching changes and such, I want to get my thoughts and opinions about this. The NBA now talking about it's going to go to uh, start on the on Christmas, play 72 games in December. It just seemed like yesterday that the Heat 
and the Lakers were playing in the NBA Finals. Now it seems like you give them a couple of days off, you give them a 15-minute break, you give them a half an hour lunch, and they're going to start a 72-game season again. No wonder everybody is chomping at the bits talking about the Golden State Warriors coming back and coming back strong. But uh, three things I really haven't been talking about. So on my YouTube channel, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, one more time, W-E-N-D-E-L-L. No, 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 not W-E-N-D-A-L-L. Not W-E-N-D-L-E, like the uh, player for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays uh, spells it. Not W-E-N-D-A-L, not W-E-N-D-E-L. It's W-E-N, when, W-E-N, no, not W-H-E-N, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. You type that into uh, what's going down on your YouTube, and you bring up this handsome, beautiful, movie star, sex symbol face, and uh, listen to what I have to say. And since I've got my hair cut, I'm looking even more sexier, ladies. Remember, remember, you beautiful young women out there, single, no kids, 37 to 43 years old, unrestricted free agent right here, and I don't need to take the max. But, um, you know, I'm going to be talking about uh, what's going on in the NBA in terms of the uh, coaching and everything, really get back to... Uh, talking about the love of my life, the NBA. So don't forget to uh, go to YouTube, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Wendell Wallace. And then, uh, yeah, man, just a video version of uh, what I do in terms of uh, talking about what's going on in the world of sports. But the podcast here, which you can find on any podcast site that you listen to, Wendell's World in Sports, and I'm also on Facebook also, you know, the Wendell Wallace Show. I don't know, man. I guess I got to tie all this shit up because people are sitting up there talking about, all right, wait a, wait a minute. So Wendell Wallace on YouTube, Wendell Wallace Show on Facebook, Wendell's World of Sports on podcasts and sites. Man, what the fuck is going on with you, man? You can't tie all this shit together? Man, no wonder no one's listening to your goddamn show. So I'm just trying to, going to try to tie all them things up. So I move on. Come on, man. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to get the thing down, you know? Trying my best, getting there, slowly but surely, I'll get there, soon and very soon, I'm going to reach that mountaintop, in terms of how to get all of this situated correctly, so bear with me, thank you very much for at least listening to this, motherfuckers, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, okay, let's get into it, week 7 of the NFL, Woo, man, how about them Tampa Bay Buccaneers, huh? <laughs> man, they're playing like the most well-rounded team in the NFC. Hell, they might be playing the best football in football and in the NFL. Shit, they beat the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday before an announced crowd of zero. 45-20, the Raiders started well by scoring the game's first touchdown on a Derek Carr throw to Nelson Aguilar. And many people might have been thinking about, uh-oh, maybe it was a hangover. Uh, from the game that they had, the impressive victory the week before that Tampa Bay had over the Green Bay Packers. But no, this is a Tom Brady-led team. You know that ain't going to happen. So Tampa Bay responded by scoring 24 of the game's next 27 points to go ahead 24-10 to 10 in the third quarter. You know, play another relatively clean game, only four penalties after coming off of none against the Packers. Devin White led the team with 11 tackles, giving him four games now of 10-plus tackles this season. He sacked Las Vegas quarterback Derek Carr three times. The defense allowed Las Vegas 76 yards rushing total for the game. Josh Jacobs, the second-year pro from 
Alabama, who I think wasn't he the AFC Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Well, the Buccaneers held him to 17 yards on 10 carries, and then on offense, I mean, Tampa Bay again, 29 first downs, 8 of 13 on third and fourth down, went 5 of 6 in the red zone, red zone, had no turnovers and 454 total yards, and Tom Brady was being the fucking man again. Very effective for the second week in a row, and I guess you could maybe even say he was a little bit spectacular, going 33 for 45 of 363 yards, four touchdowns to four different receivers, and no interceptions. And when you speak about his 33 completions, nine of them went to, uh, well, there's, uh, there were completions to nine different receivers. So, I mean, you take a look at Brady for the next last two games, man. He's been a combined 50 of 72. That's around 70% uh, completion percentage. 535 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Tampa Tom Brady. If you think about it, man, this guy's winning in more ways than one because you know what's going to be bringing up the, as far as a discussion point. You know what people are going to be talking about. You know, heel face type of situation now. Through seven games of the season, Tampa Tom, they're rounding into a legit Super Bowl contender while the team that he left, the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, they are struggling because we have to go ahead. We have to have this definitive answer. We have to, you know, find out exactly chicken or the egg, you know, who was the chicken, who was the egg, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, who needed new, who needed who more, and all those type of things. So we're we're keeping score. So through seven weeks of the season, it's Tom Brady 5-2, and two, Bill Belichick 2-4. and four. So for those who love Tom Brady, you can sit there and cackle and say, see, see, see. For those who love Bill Belichick, you can sit there and say, well, well, well. But so, you know, it's, it's, it's bullshit in terms of the argument is concerned. I don't know how you can sit there and even come up with a situation like that just to bring it back, just to rewind it. Just as I've always said before, both of them needed each other. So, it, you know, Kobe needed Shaq. Shaq needed Kobe. Uh, you know, Magic needed Kareem. Kareem needed Magic. Jordan needed Pippen. Pippen needed Jordan. Franco Harris needed Bradshaw. Bradshaw needed John Stallworth. You know, it's the way it goes. It's just, just the way it goes. The Hogs needed the Smurfs. Joe Thiesman needed uh, John Riggins. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. Who was more important? Who was better? Who needed this? Who needed that? Who cares, man? Who cares? So, you know, I don't think this was a situation where I don't think Tom Brady is sitting up there on his mansion that he's running from Derek Jeter, you know, doing the boogaloo and, you know, boogalooing for Jesus because he's a head of this so-called rivalry between him and Bill Belichick. And he's sitting up there going, yeah, fuck you, Bill. Yeah, you didn't need my ass, huh? You thought that it was all about you, huh? Yeah, fuck you. And I don't think Bill Belichick is kicking it in Boston. I don't know where he lives. But I guess in the rich suburbs of Boston, you know, looking at the, looking at the mirror and then looking outside into a dark, gloomy, cold, New England, Boston night going, fuck you, Tom. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm still the man. I don't give a fuck. Lawrence Taylor, bitch. Yeah. Lawrence Taylor. Harry Carson. Defensive coordinator extraordinaire. Head coach. Six world championships. Yeah, suck my... So I don't think any any one of those two guys are doing that. They're more concerned about how in the hell am I going to continue to keep winning and keep continuing to improve if you're Tom Brady... And Bill Belichick is sitting around speaking about how in the hell are we going to improve and get better from 
to inform. None of those guys are thinking about each other in any particular way right now. I don't think they'll even think about each other in those terms, in terms of, you know, appreciation or, you know, I needed you, you needed me until their playing days are over. Both are going into the Hall of Fame. Both are going to go down as all-time greats. Both have generational wealth. Both are happy with the women that they've got. Both of them are happy with their kids. Both of them, for the most part, from, I guess, I'm guessing here, assuming that life is, for them is going to be good and it's going to be pretty good and it's going to remain very good. So, I mean, what are we talking about? What are we arguing about? What are we even contemplating these things? Belichick, Tom Brady, going to be fine. The argument, who needed who? Stupid, ridiculous, sort of like LeBron. Who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Stupid, ridiculous, worthless, nonsensical, and not even worth going on and on and on and on, at least in this podcast. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I was the one who said that Tampa Bay fans should not expect the Tom Brady that they think they might be getting. When he first signed with Tampa Bay, and everybody was like, oh, Tampa Bay fans or Tom Brady fans or whoever was speaking there talking about, yeah, man, fuck that bullshit. We got Tom. We got the GOAT, baby. We're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to do all these things. We're unstoppable. We're greatest. We're, you know, we're this and we're that. And I would always be like, hey, man, you need to calm down a little bit because I think what you're expecting from Tom Brady with all your enthusiasm and all your vigor and all your hip, hip, hooray, and he's a jolly good fellow. I don't know if that Tom Brady's going to be walking through the door to meet your expectations. The Tom Brady that I think you're cheering and speaking about, I don't think he's coming through that door because I think that you're more focused on the 2015 Tom Brady. I think you're more focused on the 2017 Tom Brady. I think you're more focused on that, you know, 2013 Tom Brady. That Tom Brady ain't going through the door, man. That Tom, the Tom Brady that's going through the door right now is 43 years old. And again, you know, we've seen the dips. We've seen the lack of this. We've seen the lack of uh, completion percentage. And we've seen the progression or the regression of his game. He didn't fall off a fucking cliff. But when you set the numbers and when you set the bar as high as Brady did, and it's because of the talent level that was around him, of course, as far as statistical-wise, he's not going to be able to perform at the same level or exceed as far as the statistical level is concerned. So, you know, we need to kind of slow down a little bit here. I was kind of thinking about the responsibility for Tom Brady would be, hey, look, man, you know, you need to slide more into that game manager role. You know, go see, and I'm going to keep saying these examples, go see the year that the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning at their quarterback. Go, there's many examples out there of teams who have been really good, teams who have won Super Bowls, teams that have been Super Bowl contenders who didn't need a Tom Brady in his prime to uh, reach that status. Tom Brady, at 43, being a game manager and letting the defense do the work and letting his surrounding talent from an offensive standpoint do the work, that should be more than enough for Tampa Bay to be a squad that can compete. Now, I don't know... The Tom Brady that many people thought coming in was going to be that guy that he is right now. I didn't think so. I did not think so. But I did say that based on some of the factors of quarterbacks who have moved into playing football in their 40s, normally when something like that, I guess I use Brett Favre as the main example, when he went from 
not the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets, even though for a lot of that season he played well until he fell off the cliff and all of a sudden Chad Pennington said, yeah, suck this bitch and came out. No, 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 no. Yeah, well, well, yeah, to Chad Pennington. But the Dolphins, who the Jets let go, uh, knocked the Jets out of the playoffs after they, you know, went six, they were 6-2 and two at one point and then I think they finished the season 9 or 7 or 8 and 8 or some nonsense like that. And through, you know, the first part of the season, Brett Favre was playing awesome after he retired from the Vikings, and then he decided to uh, come back, and the Packers didn't want him because Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, so we said, okay, fine. Then he was signed by the New York Jets, and then I remember they were 6-2 and two the night they beat the uh, New England Patriots, and everybody was sitting there going, oh yeah, far, far, the New York Jets, they're incredible, they're wonderful. Brett Favre, he's awesome, he's this and all those things, and he was playing great football, uh, Brett Favre, but what happened was, I mean, you know, they started to, uh, you know, fall off a cliff, and by the end of that season, when Pennington finally knocked the Jets out of the playoffs, and then I remember in the locker room how joyous and jubilant the the Miami Dolphins were. I mean, people at that time in New York, Jets organization and everything were talking about, Brett, time for you to go. Brett wasn't feeling it, so he retired again. And then he decided, you know what, I still want to play. And then he went to Minnesota. And then he had one more magical, awesome, fantastic, great year. I think when he was 40, 41 or something like that. And if it wasn't for a Brett Favre-type bad pass uh, against the New Orleans Saints in the NFC Championship game, the Vikings would have been in great position to kick a field goal to have the opportunity to go and play in the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. But you saw what happened. So the season after that, Favre fell off the, you know, fell off the cliff, and then his deal was over. So using those type of metrics, using those type of examples. I thought that Brady this year would be really good. Well, I thought Tom Brady would be good. And when I say good, I thought Tom Brady would be somewhere between the ninth and the 13th best quarterback. When you're speaking about a league where there's 30, that's pretty damn good for a 43-year-old coming off the last couple of seasons that he had uh, with the New England Patriots. So I said for this season, I think everybody is going to be giddy and happy because Tom Brady is going to do well. But check after that when he becomes 44 years old. Sooner or later, this man's going to fall off a cliff. You you do realize that, right? This man can't play this way forever. And when we speak about, when we think about these athletes and their advanced ages, the end comes quickly. I mean, there's not just a, yeah, lower, 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 done. There's not that natural progression. It's doing well, doing well, doing pretty good. Man, he's sick. He sucks. See Cam Newton. So, you know, it's, I think that if the, I still think this way, if the Buccaneers, in terms of this team is concerned, the way this team is um, put together, and I think that the best chance for these guys to win a championship is going to be this year. Because, I know, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off an old, old ranger, and you don't doubt, doubt uh, Tom Brady. I know all these things. But I think this is going to be his last. I think this is the best that we're going to be seeing of Tom Brady this season. And what, what seven games so far into the uh, season? And there's, you know, there's possibilities that he could regress. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't put my money on it. But uh, you know, there's that possibility because when you're that age, you never know. I mean, he's a hit away. 
he's a sack away. I mean, you know, you, you never, he might be uh, uh, an injury to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, who is not going to be playing, I believe, because he broke his finger. Or, you know, circumstances might dictate that, you know what, the schedule is coming up. You, you never know. You never know. And that applies to every football player. That applies to every quarterback. But I, I'm taking into in, I'm taking into the account the age of Tom Brady and uh, what he was showing with New England the past couple of seasons. As I mentioned before, just because you change teams, it doesn't make, and being 43 years old, as we all know, especially around my age, the older you get, you don't get stronger, you don't get younger, you don't get healthier, you don't come back from injuries quicker. I don't give a damn how many smoothies you make. I don't care how many green drinks you take. I don't care how many massages you get. I don't care how well your mechanics are. Age is fucking age. And with Tom Brady getting hit at 43, it's a lot different than Tom Brady getting hit at 25. And I'm quite sure that Tom Brady recovering from a football game, if it's going to be uh, difficult, if it's going to be challenging, if he's going to be hit, if he's going to be sacked, for him to recover from a football game in which he was, you know, uh, which he was uh, hit and all those type of things, it's a lot harder for him to come back at 43 than it is when he was 27, 33, or 35. So while he's playing great, while he's playing awesome, while I guess, you know, you can make the argument that as of right now, maybe with the exception of, maybe with the exception of um, Russell Wilson, you can make the strong argument that Tom Brady has been the second best quarterback in the NFL. I know Patrick Mahomes, I think we're starting to get to the point where he's starting to become, we're starting to take him for granted. Some of the stuff that he's done, especially after his first two years where, you know, I don't think Patrick Holmes is going to statistically put up the type of numbers that he did his first two years in the NFL and the wow factor and the I can't believe it factor and the sensational story, which was this guy, Patrick Mahomes from Texas Tech, who wasn't the number one pick in the NFL draft, who wasn't, who didn't have the, uh, who didn't have the draft prospects or didn't have the resume of someone who's a generational talent, someone with the talent that uh, Patrick Mahomes has, we didn't see any of what he did the first couple of years in the league. We didn't see that coming. So because of that, the story was unbelievable. The story was fresh. The story was outstanding. Now that he's kind of at least statistically reached the level where I don't think he can reach again, I mean, there's going to be situations. Patrick Mahomes is going to be a better quarterback as the years go on. Because of that, the Kansas City defending champions are still going to be a viable elite football team as long as they can surround him with pretty good talent. Doesn't need to be elite talent. You don't need to have elite running backs or elite defense or anything like that. You just put a couple of playmakers around them and a decent offensive line, Patrick Mahomes can do the rest for you. So I think at the quarterback, he's going to get better, but he's not going to put up those numbers. So when Patrick Mahomes goes 15 for 23 in the snow and throws for 215 yards and no touchdowns and a very workmanlike performance in the win on Denver on Sunday, People sit there and go, eh, no touchdowns, only 200 yards, only 15 completions. Eh. I mean, people start doing those type of things. So all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes type things, big deal. 
new story, new toy, new shiny new object. What else? You know, ADD, ADHD, or whatever the fuck is called as far as the short attention span in this country and this world. You know, we've kind of got a little bit bored of Patrick Mahomes, unless he's going to be throwing for 700 yards a game and throwing for 80 touchdowns and putting up Madden-type video game numbers. Eh, been there, done that with Patrick Mahomes. What else do you got for me? Right now, we got a 43-year-old who's uh, made the transition from being a dynasty great quarterback with the New England Patriots for 20 years, and now he's doing things that no other 43-year-old, I mean, shit, you can almost say athlete, has done in terms of what he's been doing so far this season. Ah, now you caught my attention, and Tom Brady reinventing himself in terms of going from another team, now it's a new story. No, now it's a new program. Now it's a new angle. Now, again, you got myself interested in Tom Brady. So because of those things, mixed in with the way that he's playing, yeah, man, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, you know, silliness in the thing that, you know what, Tom Brady, make that argument for him being the second best quarterback so far. He's thrown 18 touchdowns, only second behind Russell Wilson. He's on pace to throw 41 for the season, he's got 15 touchdown passes and only one interception in his last five games. I mean, he's right there. He's right there with the MVP candidates such as Russell Wilson and Derrick Henry and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Donald and Patrick Mahomes just by default. So he's right there. And then we take a look about what's going on with New England. Oh, New England fell to two and four, two and a half games behind the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. And a 33-6 loss at loss at home to the San Francisco 49ers. To the injured San Francisco 49ers. To the beat-up San Francisco 49ers. To the what elite team might not make it back to elite status this year? Those San Francisco 49ers. And another gut kick for the Patriots and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft concerning that game against the 49ers. San Francisco had Jimmy Garoppolo at their quarterback. You know why it's like, damn. You know why Patriot fans are saying, damn. Because you can't go out there and say, Belichick, you fucking suck. What are you doing? This, that, and the other. You're never going to say that with Belichick. Man gave you six championships. The man gave you the greatest dynasty outside of the Boston Celtics winning 11 championships in sports history. Maybe you're throwing the Canadians of uh, hockey, but it's hockey. So, you know, outside of real sports, or outside of sports that, you know, the majority of people care about, football, baseball, basketball, outside past, you know, past the 1950s, because you don't want to throw in the Yankees. I mean, this has been the most impressive dynasty of sports. So, Patriots fans, you better not sit there and talk about Bill Belichick, what the fuck you were doing, this, that, and the other. You're horrible. You're terrible. You son of a bitch. You killed our future and all that nonsense. But if it wasn't for him... I mean, wouldn't you be sitting there saying, damn, man, you know, Garoppolo looks nice. Garoppolo looks pretty good. Yeah, he ain't Tom Brady. And, I mean, he wasn't going to be the Joe Montana to Steve Young, or he wasn't going to be the Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers that or that many franchises uh, were fortunate enough to have, or those two fr- franchises were fortunate enough to have. But, shit, it wasn't Terry Bradshaw to Mark Malone either. So, uh... He was over on there on the other side playing for the uh, 49ers. As you remember, Jimmy G was drafted, played behind Brady for a few years. It was supposed to be his heir apparent, right? Remember that? Remember that game against um, the Monday night game against Cincinnati? 
and Tom Brady got beat up, and the offensive line looked terrible, and the Patriots were embarrassed, and that was the game. Was it Kansas City or Cincinnati? I think it was the game against Kansas City. I don't know, man. Fuck, I don't remember what I did 15 minutes ago. You're going to be asking me to be talking about this shit? But I just remember, because it was that was the famous, on the Cincinnati, on the Cincinnati, on the Cincinnati. So it was the Kansas City, not then yet defending champions. But, uh... Brady looked terrible, he looked horrible, and people were like, well, time to start Jimmy G. Well, is it Garoppolo's time? You know, are you going to bench Tom Brady and all that kind of stuff? All that kind of bullshit, all that kind of nonsense, all that kind of stupidity, all of that kind of clickbait. And uh, so, but uh, that's what Garoppolo was lined up to be. But against Belichick's will, Jimmy Jam was reportedly driven out of New England for a mere second round pick, by the way, because of perceived Brady's insecurity, not wanting the franchise future hovering over his shoulder as a distraction. So, you know, he didn't play nice. He did what Joe Montana did with Steve Young. He did what Chris Chandler did with Steve McNair. He did what Brett Favre did with uh, Aaron Rodgers. In fact, he did a lot of things that many of the great quarterbacks did. You know, this is my territory. This is my team. This is my stardom. This is my time to shine. I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to fade. I'm not ready to give this up for anybody. I don't give a damn who you are. This hot shot motherfucking rookie comes in here or this guy is talking about taking my job. I don't think so. You think I'm going to help this guy take my job by mentoring him? I don't think so. Shit, go see Ryan Fitzpatrick if you want to do that bullshit. Not me. So because of that, you know, Kraft, Brady, tight. So I don't think Tom Brady went into Robert Kraft's office and said, you know, it's either me or him. But, you know, it was kind of like maybe for the betterment of Tom that we kind of remove this distraction and kind of make him feel, make him feel loved and make him feel wanted. So, again, looking back at that, would have been a nice replacement, replacement just for those guys to say, sorry, Tom, he's sticking with, he's sticking on the team. And if you want to leave the team a few years early, you go ahead and do that. But, uh, you know, we got to make this transition because you might think that you can play forever, especially at this level. But we know that you can't. So we have to start designing a way of making that transition. Should have kept Jimmy Garoppolo. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. So Brady, Bucks, doing well. Five and two, there you go. 18 touchdowns, four interceptions, only playing the playing the best football in years at the age of 43. New story, he's brought life, he's brought vigor, he's brought enthusiasm, he's brought excitement to Tampa, Florida. Them and the Rays are just, are just, can do no wrong. And meanwhile, the Patriots struggling, not looking good confusing, bewildered, befuddled, be behind kicked. And what's going on with Cam Newton? Man, 9 of 15 for 98 yards, three touchdowns against San Francisco before being benched. After the game, you know, Belichick was like, told reporters that Newton's going to remain the starting quarterback, or as he said, the number one. Exactly, what does that mean? He's the number one option. It's a tomato-tomato type of deal. I mean, is it like, you know, beautiful, attractive type of deal? Hey, man, is that woman beautiful? Yeah, yeah, she's attractive. Yeah, but is she beautiful? Attractive can mean so many things. Is she, uh, is, that, is that woman sexy? 
Yeah, I wouldn't turn her down at the end of the night. Okay, what exactly? I mean, I, you, you answered the question without really answering the question, even though you sort of kind of answered the question. I kind of got the drift of what the answer is. It's still not, there's some ambiguity there. So if you're speaking about, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's her number one. It's, uh, you know, any thought about bringing in Jared uh, Stenham and all that kind of stuff? No, no, no. Cameron's our number one option. Okay. I would have more, I, I don't know. I don't know. Semantics. I would have maybe appreciated he's our starting quarterback, number one option. But I'll take it. I mean, this is Bill Belichick. I'm just, I'm just glad he answered the question. Newton has been, overall, he's been disappointing. Yes, I was one of those guys after Seattle who was sitting there talking about, hey, man, shit. Cam's look like he look, Cam is playing like he wants to get paid next year. Remember all this bullshit people were talking about? I shouldn't say people, but I, there's for some, there are a few black journalists who I uh, highly respect, I read. No, it wasn't Michael Wilbon, don't go there. But um, um, a couple of black journalists were sitting there and they were talking about, man, why do you think Cam Newton wasn't signed to all of this type of money? And why did it take for him to. Why did it take for him to so long to be finally signing with the team? And they were making the innuendo that it's, that race had something to do with it. That if Newton would have been a white guy, he would have gotten a bigger payday or he would have gotten a bigger base salary and he wouldn't have waited as long to uh, finally uh, be employed by a football team. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's true at all. And believe me, I ain't Larry Eldering myself. I ain't Candace Owensing myself. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not going down that road. I'm not Samboing myself. I ain't house Negroing myself with that take. But it's just like, no, in this situation, in the NFL where, you know, just see Colin Kaepernick to uh, understand some of the uh, hurdles that uh, the NFL has to deal with in terms of race, in terms of their understanding and all those type of things. But in this instance, you take a look at the black head coaches and all, the, all that kind of stuff, the, the, the problems that the NFL has in terms of minorities and blacks and those situations, this ain't one of them. Cam Newton not getting a job for, you know, a long period of time and the money that he signed with. No, that had, race had nothing. If race had something to do with it, it was very minuscule. It was the fact that the man was 31 years old coming off a couple of major injuries, the fact that at the time of the pandemic, he couldn't go and visit other teams and have their medical staff look at them to decide what type of a physical shape that he was in. I mean, it was a certain type of fit. We don't know how much Cam was asking for money-wise. We don't know all of those things. We don't know if he would have accepted the backup role. We don't know exactly, you know, how him being on the team and the dynamic, but work with others, work with the starting quarterback, work with the other stars of the team. So there was other things going on besides an owner or a coach or a general manager saying, Cam Newton, nah, pass on him, he's black. Nah, so I don't I don't think that. Or Cam Newton, I lowball him because he's black. Nah, I don't, I don't think... I don't think that was the case in terms of some of the respected uh, black journalists were trying to put out there on Twitter. So I'm not going there with that. And uh, it's true. It's, it proved to be fruition. Cam Newton overall was not being good. He was decent in the opening game against Miami. Solid, decent, good, passable, plausible as your starting quarterback. I don't think... You know, his game, his opening day game against the Dolphins was like, oh shit, you know, tip, uh, you know, New England, they ain't going nowhere in terms of their dominance. New England's still going to be the kings of the AFC East. New England, oh boy, or you got to steal this, that, and the other. 
that narrative wasn't dealing with Cam Newton after that week one victory against Miami. It was week two, the game he had in Seattle in a loss uh, where the, wow, Cam Newton is doing something else kind of blew up. And I was right there. I was right there with the dynamite saying, Geronimo. Do you say Geronimo when you blow up something? Anyway, I was there talking about, man, you know what? Hey, Cam is, the way Cam is playing right now, he's looking to get paid. I mean, he's playing some awesome, awesome football, going toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson, blah, 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 singing the praises of Cam Newton. But after that, that man has fallen off a cliff to the point to where it's taking that shine, it's taking that luster, it's dulled the performance that he had in the his best game of the season against Seattle in a pretty solid, decent game against Miami, which gave a lot of pundits and a lot of fans hope for a Cam Newton turnaround. So overall, he's ranked 29th in ESPN's total quarterback ranking, only ahead of the Jets' Sam Darnold and Washington's Dwayne Haskins, who last time I checked still hasn't been to um, Washington Football Park yet. So those are the two qualified quarterbacks that Sam, uh, excuse me, that uh, Cam Newton is above. And New England has the fewest passing touchdowns, three, and most interceptions, 11, than any team in the NFL. Tom Brady has more touchdown passes for Tampa Bay on Sunday against the Raiders than New England has had all season or Cam Newton has had all season. I don't I don't know. I just, I don't know where you go from here. The last three games, Cam has thrown for 417 yards, one touchdown, and six interceptions. In a game that he didn't play against Kansas City because of a COVID-19 positive test result, the quarterback play for New England I would say would looked inept and feeble, but that would be an insult to inept and feeble. Feeble and inept would, would, would slap me in the face be talking about, man, don't put that performance with me. We were much better than that. So I don't even know what adjective I could use to describe the performance with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer, but it wasn't NFL caliber ready. It wasn't anything that we were used to. As, if you're a New England Patriots fan, you haven't seen that shit since, what hell, since they were in the AFL? Steve Grogan wasn't that bad. Tony Eason wasn't that bad. Drew Bledsoe wasn't that bad. Any other New England Patriots you can throw me out here that I can use as an example? Basically, basically, it's been a long time since the quarterback play for New England has been that bad. So, um, it's, I don't know, man. Newton is currently 28th in the league for passing yards. He has a QBR of 42.6. He's thrown seven touchdowns, just two interceptions. How much of this blame needs to be placed on Newton? I mean, it's not all his fault. He'd been bad, and he was man enough to uh, say, hey, man, you know what? If I don't play better, I mean, the move of me going to the bench is going to be permanent, not just in the uh, second half against San Francisco. The wide receiving core for New England is below average. And look, I'm not going to uh, sit here and give credence to those who said, well, that's the reason why Tom Brady wasn't any good, or... Tom Brady didn't look anything like the Tom Brady that we knew and loved because of the surrounding talent around him. I mean, you can't absolve Tom Brady's down year, I guess. I don't know if you call it a down year, but I don't know. I mean, you just can't say, you know, Tom Brady was great, but unfortunately he was playing with chicken shit. So for the first time in his football career, except for the time that he played with Randy Moss and Troy Brown and a couple of others, that he didn't turn chicken shit into chicken salad. You can't... You know, you can't, uh, you can't absolve 
Brady from that, but you know, he's not Cam Newton's not getting any help. The wide receiving core, as I mentioned before, before I hit the floor with my rhymes galore, are below average. I mean, you take a look at the game against San Francisco. Julian Elliman, Nikhil Harry, Demir Bird caught just one pass each for a combined 35 yards receiving. Edelman, who was supposed to be, you know, the guy, when he's really nothing more than a slot receiver, a good slot receiver, but um, hasn't been this season. He was intend- He was the intended target on two of the four interceptions thrown on the day by uh, Newton. So the tight end position can't get even worse. They combined to make, what, eight catches for 98 yards this season? What in the name of Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard is going on over there? That makes them the worst group when you speak about the New England tight ends, and you speak about through seven games, eight catches for 98 yards, that makes them the worst group in the NFL and perhaps the worst group the NFL has seen in many, 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 many seasons. You have a running game for New England that's centered around a 31-year-old quarterback with a history of injuries, serious injuries running the football. Newton leads the team in rushing and rushing attempts. I mean, this is not the 24-year-old Cam Newton that we're bringing in here, folks. 31 years old, coming off a of major surgery. And you're going to have him run that offense for Josh McDaniel? I don't know. Damian Harris, where are you? Sony Michelle, where are you? Rex Burkhead, a Burkhead, where are you? James White, I mean, I'm going to leave him alone because of what he's dealing with. But, you know, J.J. Taylor, where are you guys? Somebody needs to step up. Those guys have only combined for 725 yards as a group this season. I don't know. And I guess we didn't pay too much attention to a lot of the offseason players leaving because of it's either free agency or those who wanted to uh, opt out because of the pandemic. But I think because Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick, it's like, fuck it, you'll find a way. Don't worry about it. So when they lost... Linebackers Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Noy and Eldon Roberts, as well as defensive tackle Danny Sheldon and free agency, they were like, oh, that's fine, that's okay. Belichick will just plug somebody else in. Belichick will just scheme them up. Belichick will just coach him up. Then Patrick Chung, the safety, and linebacker Donta Howard, a high tower, opted out for the season because of the pandemic. Yeah, that's fine, that's okay. That's all right, that's good. Belichick, 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 Belichick. Hey, man, Jimmys and Joes beat X's and O's. I don't care how great the X's and O's are. The Jimmys and Joes, especially in the National Football League, man, they're, you know, you, you can't beat. You can't beat a depleted roster of talent. Dante Hightower was almost like the Tom Brady for the defense in terms of calling out the plays, in terms of putting people in the right position. And me, I'm, I'm, I'll raise my hand. I'm ignorant enough. I was bad enough. I didn't do my due diligence enough to sit there and say, man, you know what? This this could be a problem. Chung, who has been a guy who's a veteran. You know, Hightower, Van Noy, Collins, who played well for us, uh, for the Patriots. I didn't respect enough those guys play for their leaving to say, you know, this could uh, this could be a problem for New England. Because Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. And you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spin into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of Old Lone Ranger. And you don't doubt Bill Belichick. Well, 
I don't think you're going to doubt Bill Belichick, but I think it's come to the realization that, you know what, no matter how great of a coach that you are, that, uh, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's beat X's and O's. I was the one who also said, yes, I was. I was the one who also said that uh, because of the, you know, because of the fact that they didn't have training camp, because they didn't have any preseason games, because OTAs and everything was kind of off-kiltered, it was going to take some time for New England, who, you know, is not immune, even in the season where they were winning championships, to start off slowly in the first four or five games. It wouldn't surprise me, I said, that if they started off one and four or two and three or two and two or something like that. My thing was that, yeah, those They'll start off that way, but by the end of the season, those guys are going to get better. That two and two at the end of the season is going to turn into eleven and five. You know, two and three is going to turn into ten and six. One and four is going to turn into ten and six, eleven and five, and challenge Buffalo for the AFC West uh, East uh, uh, Conference Championship, and still be one of the teams in the AFC that you need to pay attention to going to the Super Bowl because you have a guy in Cam Newton, 2015 MVP, and a guy who, um, you know, it's a, it's a dual threat. You have a guy in Josh McDaniels, who's a very creative offensive coordinator, and you have the greatest coach in NFL history, or at least sitting at that table, along with Don Shula, along with uh, Paul Brown, along with those guys in terms of the greatest coaches of all time. You have right there Bill Belichick. So if you have that type of combination, how could you not? think the glass is going to be half full when everything is all said and done. Well, through seven weeks, are you ready to give up on them? Shit, I don't... You got to ride with Cam, man. Cam's going to be the key. He's got to get better. He's got to get better. But I I don't... Not just him. Can he get better? Can those receivers get better? Can you implement the tight ends? Is it just a situation of lack of acknowledgement? Or is it just because, well, Wendell, the reason why we're not really featuring or really going to our tight ends is because, well, they suck as far as being NFL football players are concerned. We're dealing with a guy in Cam Newton. Is he felt? Is he still feeling the effects of COVID? He says no. But shit, man, it's got to be something. Maybe he just got old. Boxers, man, I mean, you know, they go into the fights being world champions and then they leave the ring, you know, 12 rounds later, he's talking about, I'll never be the same again. I mean, is Cam Newton, you know, did he get BJ penned in terms of, you know, he was the greatest lightweight walking into the octagon until he faced Frankie Edgar. And Frankie Edgar won that decision. That was the last time BJ Penn was worth a damn. Is that Cam Newton? I mean, the last Cam Newton, Cam Newton that we know and love, did we see him against Seattle and then that's it? And now we're seeing the end, the decline, the Willie Mays in the New York Mets uniform of um, Cam Newton? Hmm. I don't know. If it is, <laughs> Trey Lance, get your playbook ready. You might be the next starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I... I I even thought, and I'm just being a little bit silly, but I was thinking to myself, 
you know, they had Belichick mic'd up against the Denver Broncos. And you see Belichick doing these subway commercials, which are fucking hilarious. I, I, I love it. I love it. You see him in the offseason when they were doing the top 100 players and he was there with uh, Rich Eisen and Chris Collinsworth and he was doing this. Is Bill Belichick starting to realize his football mortality? And what I mean by that, I, I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is taking it easy. I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is, uh, you know, just collecting the paycheck. I'm not, see, I'm not saying all of those things. The fuck am I saying? What I'm saying is, is that maybe some of the edge has come off of Bill Belichick. In terms of, look, I'm not saying that he doesn't want to win. I'm not saying he's not putting in the work. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But, you know, I mean, sometimes after doing this for so long and you're so focused and you're so dedicated to this art, to this craft, to your profession, to what you do, that, you know, maybe sometimes... You know, Tom Brady's leaving, the COVID, everything's happening. We don't know if we're going to have a season. Everything's thrown out of whack. Um, OTAs and training camps, and now you're doing Zoom meetings and all of this type of stuff. This whole new world that we're living in, maybe Belichick kind of looked up for a quick second when he was down on this boat in Cape Cod and say, you know what, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should do a few things that, I don't know, Maybe I should do with a few things that sound a little bit interesting to me. You know, maybe I should take a chance and do some other things along with being a football coach. So what I'm saying is, you know, instead of dedicating 95% of my being to football, I don't, I shouldn't say nine, that's a, that, that, that would make him kind of a poor father and a, and a guy who's in a relationship, right? If he's only spending 5% of the time cut up between his his woman and his kids so I'll be a little bit more gracious to coach Belichick if I'm dedicating out of the 12 months that I'm living on this earth 365 days if 70% of that time is me dedicated to my football and the other things you know and every 30% is you know dedicated to things outside of football that in the greater scheme of things is a little bit more important than football. You know, the relationship with my kids, the relationship that I'm in with my woman. I mean, those things are a little bit more important than whether I win a football game or not. You know, so maybe at this age, maybe because of everything that's happened, maybe he said to himself, well, you know, maybe instead of, uh, maybe instead of dedicating 75%, maybe I should cut it back to maybe 67 or 65 or, as Coach Belichick would say, maybe I should cut it down to 63.568423678% of what I'm doing. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's just interesting. whole new world that we're living in in the NFL, man. It really is. I don't know if it's exciting. I don't know if it's... I don't know what it is. I mean, it's just... 2020 has just been outrageous. And uh, who would have thought in the year 2020... This is how crazy for sports the year 2020 has been. The NBA champion is, is uh, you know, they won it in a bubble. We're playing games in front of nobody. And now here we are where two of the greatest coaches who's ever lived in their perspective sports might not make the playoffs. If we're speaking about Greg Popovich and uh, Bill Belichick. 2020 has been a bitch. An absolute biatch. Something for the uh, history books. So next week... New England plays at Buffalo. Biggest game of the season for the uh, Patriots, you think? 
Because if they lose, can they over can they overcome two and five? And if they lose, and of course, depending upon how he plays, but if Newton continues to slide, the Patriots are two and five. The Bills win, so now you're speaking about three and a half game lead, eight games into the season. The I don't think the Patriots have a bye anymore due to this COVID nonsense. Should we start the transition? I don't know. I'm not the coach of that team. I'm not in the practices. I'm not in the meetings. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it would be an interesting question to ask. I think it would be a fair question question to ask. Because after Buffalo, New England plays, they're, they're at the Jets, Baltimore, at Houston, Arizona, at the uh, Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, and then at Miami. So maybe there's an avenue. I mean, let's go glass half full here, okay? Let's just say they lose to Buffalo. They're two and five. Oh, the sky is falling. This is horrible. Place, replace Newton. Replace Newton. And Kim is average. He's average. He goes 12 for 21 for 146 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, or a touchdown and one interception. He runs for 38 to 42 yards. Uh, but the Bills overcome. Beat them at home. Patriots go to two and five. Newton wasn't awful, but I mean, you're really going to go the whole year stint them. So you stick with Cam. They go in and play the Jets. They win that game because they're the Jets. Three and three and five. They play Baltimore and they lose to Baltimore. Three and six. They go down, play at Houston, winnable game. Four and six. Glass half full here, folks. Glass half full. They play Arizona. Kyler Murray wears them out, four and seven. They play at the Chargers. They are playing a, they are playing a uh, rookie quarterback. He's not playing like one, but Justin Herbert, glass half full, glass half full. Five and uh, will be five and uh, five and seven. Then they play at Miami, Tua, six and seven. So no, no, sorry. Let me see here. The two and five, then three and five, three and six. Four and six, four and seven, five and seven. Yeah, six and seven. What do you think? You think that's possible? I don't. I don't think they'll beat Houston. I don't think they'll beat the Chargers. And even if they do, we have to see what's going to be going down with uh we're going to, have to be going down with the Bills. I don't have the Bills schedule in front of me, but I don't know, man. I don't think the Bills are going to fall off. Yeah, they didn't look great against the Jets, and they didn't look great in their two losses uh, against uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City. But I can't see if they lose to uh, if they if the Patriots lose to Buffalo. I can't see. I can't see New England coming back, and I can't see Buffalo, um, you know, falling off a cliff or choking or doing whatever. Who knows, man? In the NFL, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But. I can't see it. I just can't see it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about the New England Patriots, we have to talk about the Patriots. Sit down. Sit down, please. You're going to have to talk about the Patriots. Take your fucking headphones off. Stop listening to Stevie Wonder. Stop listening to Marvin Gaye. Stop listening to Otis Reddy. Put that away. You can listen to that later. We're going to have to talk about what's going on with the New England Patriots. Don't roll your eyes at me. Yeah, we talked about it. We've been talking about it for a while. We're going to talk about it until this conversation's over. Jesus, Benimini. I think the biggest 
mistake that the uh, that New England made concerning the quarterback position was they didn't have a plan. They didn't have an adequate plan just in case Tom Brady left, or at the very least, just in case Tom Brady got injured. Before signing Newton late into the process, they had Jared Stenham and Brian Hoyer at their QBs. That's it. They didn't. They didn't draft anybody to groom at the era parent. Or if they did, they traded him to San Francisco. Shit. And it's got to be a situation where, look, hey, Tom, I'm sorry, man. You don't run this fucking organization. You ain't going to be playing for this fucking team forever. And look, we don't have, I, I wasn't there. I haven't interviewed Brady. I haven't spoken to anybody whether Brady was like, you know, you get that motherfucker out of here or else. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Go somewhere else? What, you, what else? What are you going to do? You're going to go play for the Jets? You're going to play for the Snyder Skins? You're going to play for the Bungles? What are you going to do? You're going to play for the Houston Texans and re- reunite with Bill O'Brien so he can trade away DeAndre Hopkins and, and, and mortgage your future? What exactly are you going to do? I mean, sometimes, especially in the NFL, this ain't the NBA. And while Tom Brady might be the LeBron of the NBA in terms of his impact in terms of, you know, elevating a team in terms of improving the percentage of winning. This ain't a 12-man roster. Tom Brady does not play defense. Tom Brady does not have the ability to shape, to create victories and championships like LeBron does because football's a different fucking sport. So, I don't know if it got down to a situation where, and I'm all basing this on Garoppolo. The Garoppolo trade. Yeah, I know it's been talked about over and over at nauseum. They'll be in the record books and they'll be on NFL films. And I'm quite sure ESPN will do a 30 and 30 about it in, you know, in 15, 20 years. But just rehashing this again, it's like... <laughs> Robert Kraft, goddamn, man. Goddamn, goddamn, goddamn. And Bill Belichick, you couldn't... You couldn't get to Robert Kraft and be like, no, let me tell you why this is a bad idea. Well, Tom Brady might leave. He ain't going to leave. And if he does, I don't give a fuck. Because we have to. Do you want to win for the next five years and be horrible for the next 50? Or do you want to uh, bite the bullet and be Super Bowl contenders for the next 20? Every franchise has to meet that rubber on the rubber in the road. To where it's kind of like, look, man, you're at the point in your career where we have to think about the future. It's going to happen in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger. It's already started with the drafting of Jordan Love for the Green Bay Packers. Seven, eight years from now, it's going to happen with the Seattle Seahawks. Hopefully in 12, 13 years, it's going to happen with the Kansas City Le Champions. In 12 or 13 years, hopefully, it's going to happen with the Baltimore Ravens. To where it's going to get to the point where it's kind of like, we got to start thinking about, you know, what we're going to be doing Four, five, six, eight, ten years from now. That's what a GM is for. That's why you don't have your coaches be GMs. Because coaches only think about what's going to be happening tomorrow. GMs are thinking about what's going to be happening five years from now for your football team. And Robert Kraft didn't allow Bill Belichick, the GM, to do his job. They say, look, we're keeping Garoppolo. We're going to groom him. And if that means Tom Brady leaves a year or two before he should, well, then so be it. San Francisco had to deal with that when they cut Joe Montana and he went to Kansas City. 
you know, the, the Green Bay Packers did that when they essentially told you know Brett Favre back up or be uh, re- or or retire. Those things happen. It happened to Warren Moon. It happened to Warren Moon in Houston, where Cody, what was the guy's name? Cody Carlson, Cody Nielsen, or somebody like that. You know, came in, and I guess the '94 season, young guy, and you know Warren Moon was in his mid 30s, and this, that, and the other. So Warren Moon went to the Vikings. And at that time, you know, he got to the point where Brad Johnson was supposed to take over for him after a couple of years. It, it happens. But they're, the uh, Patriots are now feeling the sting, are now feeling the uh, effects, the ramifications of not taking care of that. Stenham? Drafted in 2019 in the fourth round? And, you know, they thought Stidham might be the heir apparent to Tom Brady when when Tom Brady's 48. Stidham hadn't proved himself to be a starting NFL quarterback. Shit, he hadn't even proven himself to be a good fucking clip holder. So rookie, he threw only four passes, with one of those passes being intercepted, returned for a touchdown. Belichick went nuts, told him to get the fuck back on the bench. And they started against Kansas City, you know, week four, he was five for 13, 60 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Damn, McDonald, I mean, uh, Josh... Josh McDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. Josh, uh, <laughs> I'm Josh McDaniels sitting there talking about, man, maybe I should have taken that New England job. I mean, hell, at least I would have had the opportunity to work with um, what, Philip Rivers. With, uh, you know, I don't know. Jacob Eason on the way. I don't know. But it's just, you know, he hadn't been good. And the quarterbacks that Belichick has drafted as coach of the Patriots, besides Brady in 2000, I mean, they've been all right. Garoppolo was round two. We saw what happened to him. Ryan Mallett was drafted in round three in 2011. Matt Castle was drafted, I believe, in the sixth round, number 230 in 2005. Jacoby Brissett, who, yeah, kind of wish that uh, he had he was on your team right now. He was drafted in round three in 2016. And, of course, Stidham, round four, 2019. I mean, Brissett was traded to the uh, Colts for a wide receiver, Philip Dorsett. How's Dorsett doing right now for the Patriots? How's he doing at the number one receiver? Again, who would you rather have at the quarterback right now? Jacoby Brissett or Cam Newton? The way Cam Newton's playing right now. Ryan Mallett was traded to Houston for a conditional sixth-round pick. He, he hadn't been in the league for a while. In fact, he's done. After he was arrested for suspicion of driving while intoxicated in Arkansas in uh, September of 2019, that was the end of him. He worked out. He couldn't even get a job in the XFL. He worked out for the uh, he worked out for the XFL in Tampa Bay. They said thanks, but no thanks. He worked out for the Washington Snyderskins in 2018, and they said thanks, but no thanks. So now he's the uh, assistant coach at Mountain Home High School in Mountain Home, Arkansas. Combination of things, man. Combination of things for the Patriots. So, <sighs> I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of this, except that uh, we knew eventually this was going to be coming with the Patriots. And hey, God bless the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're playing great. They're playing well. Brady, this, that, and the other. But boy, you know, you always like to think, what would what would players like if they were just mortal? I mean, are we ever going to get to the point in his career where LeBron James is going to be like mortal? 
Or like LeBron James is just going to be that guy where you just sit there and cringe and go, eh, gee whiz, man, this, he sucks. <laughs> I mean, are we going, it was almost like when the Golden State Warriors were winning, you know, all these, were winning these championships. And it was kind of like, what would Golden State look like if they just sucked? And how would these guys react if those guys, if, if they, you know, if they sucked? Well, we saw it this year. How would, how would Phil Jackson look if he was on a team that stunk? What we found out this year, what would it be like if you were thinking about in the early 90s when Jordan was doing a thing? What would Jordan look like if he got to the point where he was just normal, where he was just uh, just another basketball player? If he stuck around long enough for that to happen. We say that with Brady now. It's like, damn, what? If Brady wants to stick around and play, because something tells me that the NFL is going to have to kick Tom Brady out of the league. I mean, Tom Brady is not going to be those. There's not going to be the one where he throws the final touchdown pass, uh, and he's still the great. He's still you know playing at the level that he's playing at. He throws that touchdown pass in the Super Bowl, and he says, "I'm done. I'm good." You know, he ain't going to be like Seinfeld, where he's going to retire when they're still number one in the ratings. That ain't Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to play till he can't play no more. So, what is that season going to look like when Tom Brady can no longer play? We saw it with Peyton Manning, too, where it was just kind of like, wow, that's ugly. <laughs> wow, that ain't good. We saw it with OJ in, we saw it with OJ, his final year in San Francisco, where he tried to slice and dice the competition. Oh, okay, gee whiz, man, that was a bad, bad deal. But, uh, you know, it was just, we're seeing this now with Bill Belichick. I mean, I guess you could say, you know, we saw it in Cleveland with Bill Belichick, but that's when he was young and this, that, and the other. You know, a lot of people don't even remember the Cleveland Bill Belichick. But we're seeing it now in terms of just, wow, it's bad. It's been bad. So I guess you can say for the, uh, I guess you can say for Cam Newton. I guess you can say for Stephon Gilmore. I guess you can say for Robert Kraft. I guess you can say for Bill Belichick. This upcoming Sunday, Against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. The most important game of Bill Belichick's uh, legacy, dynasty, with the the, uh, New England Patriots in terms of it still being relevant. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's going on, man? You good? You all right? Looking good, feeling good, being good, doing what you need to do. Go out and vote. Go out there and do your thing. I don't give a fuck who you vote for, but you know who you should be voting for. If you have a brain, if you have any type of compassion for human beings, if you have have dignity for yourself, for your person's for your children, for your family, for the next human being. We should all know who we should be voting for. In a situation like this, in the country that is in the the plight that is in right now for those who, I don't know, maybe live next to someone who is not a white male, we know what's at stake if the 
tables are not turned in different directions. It's almost like, get that motherfucker out of there. I don't give a damn if you're Republican or Democrat. Get the current motherfucker that we have out of there, reset, and then we can go back to, you know, Democrat, vote Democrat, Republican, vote Republican. And I know that's not the right way to do things. I'm a, I'm an independent, I'm an independent progressive, which means that in some instances, I'm extremely conservative. In other instances, I'm extremely progressive. I don't believe in death row. I believe in death week. Gavin Newsom, fuck you. In terms of putting a moratorium on death row, uh, uh, you know, people on death row not being brought to justice. You put me at the governor of California. You put me there in the state of Florida. You put me anywhere in this country. You put me the ruler of that state, of those states, whatever. The first thing that I'm doing, I'm taking the most heinous, horrible, evil human beings in the prison system on death row. I'm trying, I'm going to see what atrocities they committed to go on death row. And then the same atrocities that they inflicted on those, their victims, I'm going to do the same for them. Fuck yeah. So if you shot somebody and buried that motherfucker alive, guess what's going to happen to your ass? I'm going to fucking shoot your ass and bury your ass alive. If you fucking strangle a female or if you strangle somebody to death, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to fucking bring you to a noose, put it around your neck, and fucking hang your ass. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Sounds pretty conservative to me, right? Sounds pretty uh, Republican-ish to me, right? Well, you know, that's my view on the situation. When it comes to education, I don't think school should be a right. I think school should be a privilege. If you're a fucking knucklehead in the eighth grade and you want to act like an idiot and you want to act like a fool and you don't want to learn and you don't want to show your teacher some respect, you're not going to you're not going to inhibit the students around you in that classroom from learning. You are not going to stifle the possibilities of those kids becoming better by learning for those who want to be in there. So guess what? If you don't want to be in the classroom, you ain't going to be in the classroom. Guess where your ass is going to be? Out on the, out in the parks, out on the street, out on the highway, picking up fucking trash. You don't want to go to school. You don't want to learn. You want to be an idiot. You want to be a class clown. You want to, uh, deny students who want to learn their rights to learn. Guess what? You ain't going to be a part of that environment. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to send you to a contingency school, maybe a smaller classroom. Maybe you need a, maybe you need something in terms of uh, a little bit more of uh, attention in terms of maybe a little bit more one-on-one, a smaller classroom, a teacher more dedicated to you individually. So we'll, we'll, that'll be step one. So we're going to remove you from the classroom where you're causing the disturbance and not prohibiting my child to learn. So we're going to remove you from that environment. We're going to put you in a different one to see if that does, see if that works. If that doesn't work, then guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be in the parks. You're going to be on the streets. You're going to be um you're going to be on the roads and the highways and byways and you're going to be picking up fucking trash. And I don't give a fuck about your feelings. I don't give a fuck about how you your self-esteem. I don't give a shit about any of that. And if your parents got a problem with it, they can fucking join you. That sounds pretty conservative, doesn't it? (laughs) So basically, what I'm saying is, 
is that uh, while I registered myself as a Democrat, as uh, you know, those who are leaning for progressive uh, dealings, you know, I think that we should be able to help everybody else. I, I think that we should help the poor. I think that uh, you know, I don't think we should we you know, I don't think we should deal with um, free health care. I'm not a socialist. You know, I'm not in favor of you know everybody you know gets a free ride. I'm not into that. But you know, I do feel for those who need help should be helped, you know, financially, educationally, everything. They should be helped. If the government needs to help, then isn't that what the government needs to be doing? So I, I, I want government in my life, not too much, but government is needed. When there's a natural disaster, people, these fucking idiots who sit there talk about limited government, limit, limited government, you know, they always want limited government until they, they don't want government until they need government. Then they whine and complain about why government isn't there to save their asses. Well, I thought you didn't want government in your lives. I don't want free health care. I want affordable health care. That's what I want. I don't want people to be locked up and thrown and, and have the keys thrown away if uh, they commit a crime. I want rehabilitation. I don't want people be, being thrown in jail for drug offenses. I think it's ridiculous you, you, you get arrested if you're, you know, if you're... If you're a crackhead or if you're smoking crack or doing all those type of things, those people don't need prison time. They need rehabilitation. That sounds pretty lefty, doesn't it? So what I'm saying is, is that I don't even know how I got on this, but basically what I'm saying is go ahead and vote. We need to vote the certain motherfucker out of there and then we can kind of reset, kind of take a look and let's work together, both parties to see what we can do and of course i don't know how we, how long we've been singing this song in terms of what we need to do in terms of we need to stick together and we need to help each other what well, we've been only talking about this for i don't know about 220 years but uh you know maybe maybe things have changed i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know but we keep moving we keep grooving and um uh, we keep living, and we'll see what happens. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Yeah, back to sports. How about that, huh? Hey, talk to sports. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, NFL game from week seven. I want to get into the battle of the unbeatens. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Tennessee Titans 27-24. The Titans-Steelers game represented the fifth game in NFL history between two undefeated teams in week seven or later, excluding strike seasons, of course. The winner of the previous four games went on to make the Super Bowl. The Steelers held a 24-7 lead early through the third quarter, but uh, Ben Roethlisberger started throwing interceptions. In fact, he threw three of them, including one late in the fourth quarter that gave Tennessee a chance to win the game on the final drive. But then Steven Gronkowski missed a game-time field goal from 45 yards away with 19 seconds remaining. Um... Pittsburgh dominated from the opening drive through most of the uh, first half. When you speak about an opening drive of the game that the Steelers scored on a touchdown, 16 plays, 75 yards, ate up 9 minutes and 18 seconds. What in the hell? That looked like the uh, New York Giants versus the Buffalo Bills in the second half of the Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, the Steelers held a 13-minute advantage in time of possession in the opening quarter. For the game, Pittsburgh held the ball for over 36 minutes compared to Tennessee having it for 23, which is important because Tennessee is not a quick-scoring offense. So the more that you can hold on to the ball, and if you score in the red zones, which the Steelers did when you're speaking about the success that they had against Tennessee, 
If you pull up those type of numbers, it makes it a little bit more difficult for Tennessee to get back into the game because they are not a quick strike hitting type of offense. The uh, 175-yard pass, I believe, to uh, Brown got him back from 24-7 to 24-14, and that really started the momentum going. That was sort of an anomaly, both for Tennessee in the way they score and for Pittsburgh in the defense they scored. Yes, at any time, Derrick Henry can bust a 94-yard run, but not every week are you going to be playing the Houston Texans. So for Pittsburgh to hold the ball for that long spoke volumes in terms of why they were so successful in winning this football game. Roethlisberger, despite the interceptions, I know, I know you can't say, hey, despite those three interceptions that almost cost him the game, he was, all, he was outstanding. But he was 32 for 49. 268 yards, nine different receivers. So ball control, ball control. James Conner rushed for 82 yards on 20 carries. The Steelers went 13 for 18 on third down. And on defense, Tennessee ran only 56 plays on 10 drives. Again, big time because for the most part, Tennessee needs to hold the ball. Tennessee needs to methodically work the ball down the field. You know, offensive philosophy, Tennessee they want to grind. They want to beat you down. They want to wear you down. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, that big offensive line, those big wide receivers, those big tight ends. So by the fourth quarter, you say uncle in terms of you're the opposition. But if you're only getting to run 56 plays and don't have the time of advantage, well, then you see what happens. Your chances for winning aren't that high. Derrick Henry... Ran for 75 yards on 20 carries, his longest being 17 yards. So if you think about it, on 19 carries, Derrick Henry rushed for under 60 yards. So what, 68 yards and 19 carries? So that's huge because it takes away some of the effectiveness of the play-action pass, which Ryan Tannehill has been so successful with. So Pittsburgh is the only... Unbeaten team remaining in the NFL. So what do you think, man? You think that they can give the uh, champions a run for their money, speaking about Kansas City? I think as far as the AFC is concerned, they're the most complete and balanced team uh, when you speak about offense and defense. Pittsburgh entered the game against Tennessee, averaging 31 points per game, which is fourth in the NFL. And then on defense, they're one of the top defenses in the NFL, ranked second overall and they've generated more pressure than any other team in the league. So what do you think? I put them right up there. In terms of balance, I put them right up there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I put them right up there with the uh, L.A. Rams. I think that they're, um, and, you know, balanced teams win championships unless you have an uber, <laughs> unless you have an uber offense like the uh, Kansas City defending champions have. So I think the you know, Baltimore, another team, you know, sometimes can get a little bit iffy in that passing game, keeping Lamar Jackson in the pocket, you know, and not letting him exploit the uh, God-given gifts and the hard work that he puts into being, you know, quarterback who can move and do some things on the run. But, you know, other than that, I mean, look, Kansas City, again, dynamic offense, but the defense have been able, and they, they, it's shown some leakage this year. Now, not recently, but I'm just going back to that game at home against Las Vegas where that secondary was beat multiple times on long passes. Yes, it, it can happen to anybody. Fuck it. Well, you know, A.J. Brown was 75 fucking yards against the Steelers. Wendell, what the fuck are you talking about? You're really not going to compare Kansas City's defense to Pittsburgh's, are you? So I think more than enough, the Kansas City offense is great enough to where, you know, they can put up if they need to 
35, 42, 49, 50 plus points because of the offensive weapons and the quarterback that they have on offense. So where the defense does not does not have to be Pittsburgh strong for them. But then again, you never know on any given Sunday what can happen with a defense like Kansas City's if it's going to play like it did against Las Vegas. Seattle, you know, lost that game against Arizona. First loss of the season. They have the best quarterback in the league as of right now in Russell Wilson. Excellent receivers. DK Metcalf, good Guga Moogie. Good Lord, what were your parents, what what were your parents doing or what kind of athletes, or what kind of human beings are your parents to create an athlete like you? <laughs> but, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, the, uh, the threesome at the wide receiver position led by Tyler Lockett. I guess he's caught, what, 55 passes on Sunday against the um, against the Arizona Cardinals. But on offense, passing game, Seattle's tremendous. The secondary is complete garbage. Against Arizona, Seattle allowed 519 total yards, 360 of them coming through the air. This was against Kyler Murray, an up-and-coming quarterback, but also a quarterback against a pathetic Dallas Cowboy defense completed less than 50% of his passes, only completed nine passes. Kevin Murray, good as of right now, improving. Looks like in a few years that he's going to be good. But, you know, he's going to be putting up 300. If you're going to be looking to win a championship, if you're looking to win a Super Bowl, you can't have Kyler Murray putting up 360 yards. You can't have Cam Newton looking as great as he did against you guys. I mean, this is going on and on and on. And with Jamal Adams, who missed a couple of games because of a groin injury, and that was supposed to be the difference maker coming over from the New York Jets. But um, the defensive line can't uh, get to the quarterback to put pressure on him. And if you go up against a suspect secondary and no pass rush, well, you get Kyler Murray throwing for 360 yards and the defense giving up 520. And so far this season, Seattle's given up Almost 370 passing yards. Then they ain't going to win your championships. Green Bay, you got Aaron Rodgers. You got, uh, you know, a, a really good quarterback. Devontae Adams now is back. But while their offense might be good, Aaron Jones, the running back, their defense is suspect. And as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers showed uh, last week, and what the, and what the, um, San Francisco 49ers showed last season that strong physical defenses can overwhelm the Green Bay Packers. They're not soft, but I would call the Packers offense finesse. And if a physical team on defense goes up against that finesse offense, which is the Green Bay Packers, well, we see what happens. Uh, Chicago, they're 5-1 and one, or they're 5-2 and two now, but please give me a fucking break. We saw that game last night against the Los Angeles Rams that you know, their defense might be playoff worthy, but their offense is complete garbage. No use. There's no use in putting any faith in Nick Foles, and you know they ain't going to be going back to Mitchell Trubisky. So, you know, moving forward, why not the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? They have just as good as chance of any when you're speaking about teams that could uh, not only win the AFC going through. Uh, beating the defending champions, but when you're as balanced 
as the Steelers are on offense and defense. And you take a look at the competition, like the Packers, the Bears, the Chiefs, the Champions, the uh, Rams, the Buccaneers, the Ravens. Why not having the Pittsburgh Steelers be one of the heavy favorites? Not just favorites, one of the heavy favorites to win the Super Bowl. Wendell's World of Sports, and I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So many things to talk about concerning what's going on in the world of sports. There's so many things that we're just going to be concentrating on week seven of the NFL. Don't forget, I will be discussing some NBA. I will be discussing some college football on my YouTube channel, the video podcast that I do. I've got to spruce that up, man. I know, I've got to get like an opening and I've... I got to get something more than just me going on and just going blah, 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 blah for about, you know, 45 minutes. I know, I know, I got to get, I got to get some other things going. I'm working on it, man. I'm learning, I'm learning, doing everything I can. Me and my wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, intelligent, fabulous, magnificent goddaughter, Miss Sydney, and I are going to plan on what we can do to kind of spruce this thing up so you can get some, so we can get some people interested I need viewership, man. Come on. You mean you think that this extremely handsome young man right here, well, I'm not young. You think this extremely handsome guy right here will be enough for people to come in and not even be thinking about what I'm saying? What is Wendell talking about? I have no idea, but God damn, is he sexy. <laughs> oh, boy. What the, what's this? Color of the sky in your world, Wendell. Tell me exactly what it is. Wendell's World of Sports. So yeah, um, the YouTube channel, Wendell Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, talking about uh, college football, talking about some uh, NBA news, and I'm, I'm really missing my Georgetown Hoyas so fucking much. Season starts on November 25th, which is less than a month away. And I'm so excited because of everything that happened with the pandemic. We didn't, I didn't get an opportunity to follow what they did in the Kenner League. So, you know, this is going to be my first time in terms of taking a look or any highlights or anything recent of anything of what the Georgetown players have been doing since the, uh, since the loss to uh, St. John's, where I think St. John's scored the last 84 points of the game and, Knock the uh, Hoyas out for the season. But, man, Jamarco Pickett and 
Jawan Blair. And man, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm just super excited about this team. Yeah, we ain't going to make the tournament. I know all that type of stuff, but you know what? I think we're going to be better than uh, what many people are are uh, expecting us to be if we can play. I don't think we're going to play 80, 25 games. I don't think we're going to play the number of games that um, they want because of the COVID, but I think we'll get in like 16, 17 games. And I think Jamarco Pickett's going to do well. I think Javon Blair is going to uh, supersede expectations. I think... Uh, the pickup, the point guard that we got from Arkansas is going to be great. I think Jabari Sibley is going to be the uh, impact freshman that we need him to be. I think that uh, uh, Devin, uh, Devin Carey, the uh, transfer from Marist, I think that he's going to come in at two or three spot position and play well for us. I think um, Timothy, oh, what the fuck that guy's name is? Timothy Ohefe is going to do well. Ego Hefe. Yes, Timothy Ego Hefe is going to do well. I think that uh, Cutis Wahab is going to be one of the better centers in the uh, Big East. And I think Patrick Ewing is Patrick Ewing, a guy who can coach his ass off. Yeah, they might have gone 13 and 15 last season, but uh, you take a look at that squad, you take a look at that talent, and you take a look how well and hard, and how hard they play for that man. The first thing in coaching, I don't give a damn what type of what type of genius you are in terms of X's and O's, and this is just coaching in general. This is just leadership in general, being a supervisor, being a boss, being a manager. I mean, this is just in general. I mean, how hard are you guys, how hard is your guys going to work for you? How much do they believe in you? How much of an effort are they going to give you? How much do they care? Before you tell me about how wonderful you are and how genius you are in drawing up plays and doing all those type of things, tell me about the relationships that you have with your players in terms of will they ball out for you? Will they do everything they can for you? Will they... Leave it all on the floor if I could use all those cliches. Patrick Ewing and that team that he had last year, you never questioned the effort. You never questioned the intensity. You never questioned about how much they cared for each other. You never questioned any of that. And for me in coaching, I don't coach, but for me, when I'm evaluating, not that I'm some great evaluator, but for me, that's the number one thing for me in terms of how good of a, of a coach you are. You know, the X's and O's, we can hire assistants to go ahead and do those type of things. You know, how, what is the respect level? What is the dedication level? You know, what is the love and the connectivity and the unity? What is all that about? And uh, Coach Ewing had that uh, from his players and then some. So, you know, I, and, and the man can coach. So I'm not worried about Georgetown moving forward. They will be a team to reckon with. You can goddamn believe that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wall. Love my Georgetown Hoyas. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wall. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, back to the uh, NFL, as now I'm watching the beginning machinations of Game 6 right here in my humble abode, in my town home in northwest Las Vegas, Nevada, in a beautiful 60-something degree day. The Washington football team I can't win for winning, man. Really can't. They beat the Dallas Cowboys. You think I'd be happy? You think I'd be ecstatic? You think I'd be thrilled? You think I'd be yelling hip hip hooray for he's a jolly good fellow? You think I'd be doing all those things? No. I was not happy that we won. We cannot win! I don't want us to win! God damn it! 
Best game of the season for Washington, Antonio Gibson, 128 yards rushing, one touchdown. Cal Allen didn't turn the ball over, two touchdowns, 15 of 25, 94 yards. Washington with 9 of 15 on third down. They rushed for over 200 yards and 39 carries, controlled the ball for 36 minutes. The defense had six sacks. I mean, they were against a clearly inferior football team that's that has no character, no heart, no pride, no nothing. They did what they had to do. Great. Wonderful. Ron Rivera after the game. And by the way, congratulations for Ron Rivera. God bless you for finishing your cancer. I'm so glad that uh, you're cancer-free, any decent human being. I don't want them to have any type of illness. So God bless Coach Rivera for uh, getting through that. Don't know if you'll ever be out of the... Uh, forced or, and you know, you'll be out of the danger, Mark, but let's, let's hope that, uh, you know, you take care of yourself. So this can be in remission for a long, long time for your wife and children and family and everybody who cares about you. So God bless you on that one, coach. But, you know, you're up there talking about, Hey, I was coaching the Carolina team that went seven and nine and we won our playoff game against the Arizona Cardinals and we gave, uh, the, uh, New Orleans Saints a scare in the next round. So why can't that be us? Why can't that be you, coach? Because your team fucking stinks. <laughs> That's the reason why it can't be you. The defensive line played played well. But Dallas' offensive line is a sieve. It's terrible. I don't know how many, what, three offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen for the Cowboys that they were missing? They were playing against a quarterback and Andy Dalton who, you know, I mean, not very, very good. They're playing against a team in total dysfunction right now. In fact, Dallas right now is so dysfunctional they look, they look, they make the Washington football team look functional. Whoever thought that could happen? They make the New York Jets look semi-functional. Whoever thought that could happen? So, I mean, great, wonderful. We're two and five. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Winning the division, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. I'm going to be dancing in the streets like a Martha and the Vandellas because we go seven and nine. And we win one of the most putrid, horrid divisions in sports? That's supposed to give me hope? That's supposed to give me cheer? That's supposed to give me, you know, a reason to believe? Cal Allen, our quarterback moving forward. Yeah, we're going to win the Super Bowl with him. Give me a fucking break, man. Give me a break. Unless Terry McLaurin becomes Jerry Rice on steroids. It ain't going to happen. But this is what I'm dealing with. We won a fucking football game against our horrible Dallas Cowboy team, and now we're speaking about, hey, look, I understand Rivera had to go that route, had to go that avenue. I understand that. And I understand that he had to put those guys in the position to win. I understand 53 guys who are employed by the Washington football team. I understand that they have to do everything humanly possible to win. I get that. I understand that. This is their job. This is their uh, uh, um this is their, their this is their business. This is their career. I understand all those things. So you do this to make sure that you become employed. Because I don't think, even if you get cut from the Washington Snyder skins, I don't think that teams are going to be picking up players who basically quit and tanked because they were trying to uh, secure a draft, the highest draft possible, thinking that they're going to be on the team and getting this quarterback means that they'll stick around when the football team reaches its you know, greatest dreams and and, and, uh, and aspirations. So I get it. I understand it. 
I'm not asking for these guys to lie down and be embarrassed week after week. I just know that they have the ability to lose more games. I just know that these guys have the ability to be in that bottom five as far as the best and worst teams of the NFL. I I believe in the Washington and Rivera skins that we are bad enough and non-talented enough where we can get ourselves a high draft pick. Or we can get ourselves a Justin Fields. Or we can get ourselves an impact player that can help us down the road. I don't give a goddamn about 6-10, and 7-9, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Is that going to win us a championship? No! How are we going to face Mahomes? We got the defensive line. We got the defensive front. Okay, at least we got something. At least we got a, 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 an amber of hope. In terms of the in terms of the, the the pile of rubble that we have, the one flicker of hope stems from that young offensive line, and with Rivera at the coach, and if Snyder can keep his ass out of uh you know the everydays, maybe we can put ourselves in the position like the San Francisco 49ers did, to where we don't need to have a franchise quarterback to become a team that can win 13, 14 games and make it to the Super Bowl like the 49ers did last year. But God damn it, I want Trevor Lawrence. And beating the Cowboys isn't going to do it for us. Going into that game, we were number two. We were number two as far as the draft order. Look at me talking this shit only week seven. Man, we ain't even halfway through the season. And I'm up here getting all emotional about this. But we were number two. So even if the Jets bottomed out all we had to do was lose the rest of our games and the consolation prize was Justin Fields who I believe can be a franchise quarterback and I haven't listened to scouts I haven't listened to McShay I haven't listened to Mel Kuyper I haven't listened to anybody on the NFL network I haven't listened to Charlie Cashley I haven't listened to any of those guys but from everything that's been said you know Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback. Uh, franchise quarterback. So if we don't get Trevor Lawrence, then hey, <laughs> hey, 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 Fields, Fields of Dreams, right? Oh no, that one win, that one win against Dallas, we faltered in number nine. From number two to number nine, the new draft. The new draft order after seven weeks is now the New York Jets number one, the Giants number two, Jacksonville number three, Atlanta number four, Miami number five. Well, it's Houston, but Miami has their draft pick from the Laramie Tunzel trade. Um, Minnesota is number six. Cincinnati's number seven. The Cowboys are number eight. Washington's at nine. The number 10 pick belongs to the Chargers. Number 11 is New England. That's a sleeping giant, huh? Denver is 12 and Carolina is 13. Going to Carolina. So, look, you got 16 teams that are either directly at or under 500. So there could be a lot of changes going around. And when you take a look at the strength of schedule for the opponents, the Jets are playing a schedule where the winning percentage is 590. The Giants' winning percentage, their opponents are 549. Jacksonville, 548. Denver, 524. Washington's at 490. So I got some bad news for you. We're playing the Giants, Detroit, Cincinnati, Dallas, Pittsburgh. We could finish that stretch. I mean, why couldn't we beat the Giants? Why couldn't we beat Cincinnati? Why couldn't we beat Dallas? 
we could be looking at a record of five and seven. This is this is awful. This is absolutely we're gonna miss an opportunity to draft Lawrence, Justin Fields, or even South Dakota State's Trey Lance. What we're gonna do? Draft an offensive tackle or a cornerback? Two things that we really need, but we need a quarterback. Now there are reports out there talking about uh, Trevor Lawrence is like, hey man, I never said that I was. I said that I was coming out after this season. I got my degree in marketing, so you know I'm ready to go. But I never said it was 100% guaranteed. AKA, if the Jets get the number one pick and Adam Gaze is still the coach, I might have to think about this. I think ultimately he'll go. But still, Jesus, man, we're going to fuck around and get ourselves out of the opportunity to get ourselves a quarterback who's going to help us. Oh, Oh, being a Washington fan is so, so difficult. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Dallas was embarrassingly horrible again, going to fall, falling to 2-5. and five. Gained only 142 total yards against Washington. You realize that Devontae Adams, Alvin Kamara, and A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans had more yards individually than the Cowboys did at the team. Only held the ball for 23 minutes, 12 first downs. Yeah, I know they had, they had a third-string quarterback in there. I'll get to that a little bit later. But still, the, the Cowboys trailed by at least 14 points in the first half for the sixth consecutive week. In the most, I, I will say this. Look. I'm not going to go Stephen A and start piling on and ha, 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 he, 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 Dallas sucks. Yeah, I'm not going to go into any of that nonsense. But I will say the most embarrassing moment of the season so far in the NFL. I know people are going to you know, point to D- Daniel Jones falling down on that 80-yard, should have been an 80-yard touchdown run where he, you know, he slipped and fell and did all that kind of stuff where there was no one, no one around him. Yeah, that was embarrassing. That was funny, ha, ha, ha. But I think the most embarrassing moment, even superseding that, was nobody on the Dallas Cowboys team going after Washington linebacker John Bostic after delivering a dirty helmet-to-helmet hit on a sliding Andy Dalton, knocking him out cold. That was appalling. That was embarrassing. Not just as a football team, but to a man. Now, look, I ain't a football player. You know, I know it takes a certain amount of heart and grit and determination and cojones and character. I know it takes all of those type of things, along with the physical talents God gives you to make it to the NFL, to be in the position that these NFL football players are in. I know it takes heart and all those type of things. But, man, where was it on that play? Because, I'm sorry, Dallas, you as a man, forget the team in general, all of you as a man, all 52 of you, anybody in a cowboy uniform that was on that field, except for Andy Dalton, who was laying cold after that hit, you guys showed no heart, no pride, no dignity, no unity, no respect, no caring, no leadership, no nothing. It was cowardly. It was path- It was embarrassing. Where were you guys? And, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, what he said about the lack of a response to that hit after the game, I mean, he was right on the money. He said, we speak all the time about playing for each other, respecting one another. That was definitely probably not the response you would expect. Yeah, no shit. 
No shit. I mean, the Ezekiel Elliott told Pro Football Talk after the game, you know, he's trying to defend the criticism, talking about, you know, how how you guys bitched out. He was talking about, you know, while the fair assessment to make, he said that you got to be careful. We've got to find a way not to cross that line, but we still got to protect our guys. Find a way not to protect, not to cross the line. Sometimes you got to cross that line. You, uh, as Charlie Murphy said, you don't have to be a habitual line crosser, but in a situation like that, you don't cross the line. You leap over that line. Are you kidding me? Jeez, if I'm Andy Dalton, fuck you guys. Fuck you. You know, Andy Dalton could be back in two or three weeks. Fuck you. No, I'm collecting my paycheck and I'm going to be, I'm not coming, I don't know. I mean, I have to look after myself in terms of, you know, moving forward. If I still want to continue my NFL career after this one, I tell you one thing, it sure ain't going to be on this goddamn team with a bunch of you fucking assholes. The way that you guys just stood over there was like, oh my gosh. Is he okay? Oh, well, it's like, damn. I mean, you know, at, at least, at least the Cowboys didn't like call for the body bag that, you know, kind of put him up like roadkill. But man, this is the guy, this is what you guys think about me. I get hit like that and nobody comes to my defense. Nobody. That's what you guys think about me. And then you motherfuckers are going to be coming up to me talking about, so when can you get back on the field? I'll fucking let you know. Week nine. I don't know, week 11, week 12, maybe. Shit. Fuck the club. I'm sitting in the tub and collecting my paycheck. The hell with that. Could you imagine if that happened to Dak Prescott? Could you imagine what the reaction would be from the Cowboys? I mean, hell, Jerry Jones, Jerry and Stephen Jones might have come down from the owner's box and ran on the field with weapons. But to come there and not do anything, that was embarrassing. And it just leads me to say, man, if you guys are going to play this way, if you're going to be so inept, if you're going to be so incompetent, basically, if you ain't going to give a fuck, wouldn't it be better, Cowboy fans, if those guys just lost the rest of their games? Because right now they're 2-5, and five, right? I mean, wouldn't it be better just to say, screw it, let's just lose the rest of our games and see what happens? You don't have yourself a quarterback. You don't have yourself an offensive line. You definitely don't have yourself a defense. You've got a bunch of cowardly losers on the team. I mean, these motherfuckers, two guys up there talking about, well, you know, we're not prepared. The coaches don't adjust on the fly. You know, they don't know what they're doing. Where were you motherfuckers? All, all of you guys, every single one of you, go fuck yourselves in terms of your criticism, in terms of getting respect from anything you say after the display that you showed in defending Andy Dalton. I don't want I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't I don't listen to losers. You guys are losers. You guys are fucking jokes. You guys are cowards. Fuck that window. You saw me in the, if you saw me you said it in my face you wouldn't say that shit. Yeah, you're probably right. But in this instance, no, yeah, I probably would say that. You guys are cowards. In this instance, in this situation, you're cowards. Or you're liars. We talk about brotherhood and I'm quite sure yeah, you know, that's my brother and all this kind of stuff. Bullshit. Bullshit. If that's the way you treat your brother, I would hate to be your real brother. I would hate to be your blood brother. If that's the way you treat your, if that's the way you treat one of your brothers. Because that was disgraceful. So, you guys might as well just tank. Lose for Lawrence. 
Tank for Trevor. Fail for Fields. I don't know. You know, just because what possible improvements do you have from the quarterback position? Again, if I'm Andy Dalton, I'm not. I don't. I'm not coming back anytime soon. Anytime soon. So you can't go with Ben DiNucci, the seventh Brown rookie um, that the Cowboys have under center. So where are you going to go? Who are you going to rely on? You ain't going to rely on Ezekiel Elliott. You ain't going to rely on Amari Cooper. We we kind of seen where those guys are at. You know, Michael Gallup is not that guy. C.D. Lamb, you're going to put it on a rookie? <laughs> I don't think so. So where are we going here with a quarterback? Are you going to trade for Jacoby Brissett, who's right now being the backup to Phil Rivers and really isn't the long-term quarterback because the team drafted Jacob Eason? Eventually, it's just going to be from Rivers to Eason. So Brissett's going to be the odd man out. I think Brissett can play. Are the Cowboys going to try to make a move to uh, get him? Are they going to try to trade for a 37-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's right now uh, behind Tua Tungavailoa? He had maturity, some professionalism, something that the Cowboys desperately need. From the Miami Dolphins, there's no way in hell I'm trading him. First of all, I don't know what assets the Cowboys can give for me to trade Ryan Fitzpatrick. And also for number two, maybe the most important thing is I need... Fitzpatrick to be there for uh, for Tua. So, no, I'm not trading Ryan Fitzpatrick to help you guys out. Go screw yourselves. Are you going to trade if you're the Cowboys? Are you going to make a trade for Tyrod Taylor to bring him in? I mean, he's sitting behind Justin Herbert for the L.A. Chargers. But again, if you're the Chargers, are you going to uh, make that move and leave Justin Herbert basically by himself in terms of, you know, another quarterback who can help him? I'm quite sure the third stringer can, but... I'm quite sure the third stringer doesn't have that much more experience than uh, Herbert does. So I think Tyrod Taylor, being the professional that he is, I'm quite sure that he's playing a good role, an important role in the maturation of Justin Herbert. So what are you going to do with that? If you're the Chargers, are you going to give that up? And if you're going to give that up, what has Dallas got to entice you to give that up for him? So I I don't know what's worth saving from this team. And I don't even know... If it's even worth it for Dallas to even try to do that. The defense sucks. I don't know what bringing the backup quarterback is going to do when the defense is on pace to give up 555 points. When you have a Cowboys defense that's given up 200 or more yards rushing in three of of their last four games. Washington ran for 208. I don't know what you're going to do as far as the quarterback to turn around the season where your defense has not intercepted a pass in 183 attempts and they've recovered only two fumbles. I mean, hell, you can make a trade for Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's going to be doing anything to uh, turn that defense around. The Cowboys have scored one touchdown and kicked two field goals since Prescott's entry. So on offense, you don't have any players stepping up. Again, the offensive line is a joke and injured. Pretty bleak. Pretty pathetic for this season. And then again, this leads to talk about Mac McCarthy. You know, the, what, what, is it, what is it going to come down to? The, the Cowboys are paying a lot of money to about six or seven players that make up the majority of their salary cap. When you're speaking about Jalen Smith, and you're speaking about Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper and a couple of other guys, and we haven't even got to what you're going to do about Dak Prescott in his contract. So I don't. There, there is no panacea for what's going on with the Cowboys right now to turn this around to reach expectations and the drop-off again has been amazing from a team that opened the season against the Los Angeles Rams to where it is now 
I mean, the downward spiral has been astonishing. And, I, you know, let me tell you something. If Mike McCarthy was black, if I were him and I was black or if Mike McCarthy being black, I would be really scared. I mean, really scared. Like, damn, am I renting or am, or did I buy? Because I might have to be putting that house on the market. And regardless of kin's skin color, if it goes on like this with Jerry Jones as your owner, um, don't don't think that it's going to be, uh, I don't think it's going to last more than one year. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, you have a phone call from Jerry Jones, line one. Will you accept? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Last segment, finishing up real quick, real quickly, ever. Um, thoughts and prayers go out to Odell Beckham Jr., torn ACL, out for the season, suffered the injury while trying to make a tackle after an interception in the game against uh, Cincinnati last week. For the season, he caught 23 passes, 319 yards, four total touchdowns. So what we're going to do with Cleveland at the receiving course moving forward, Jarvis Landry is going to be the number one receiver, Rashard Higgins, Donovan People jones Yeah, interesting, interesting moving forward. I think because, I mean, losing a dynamic talent like Odell Beckham Jr., who I must admit has been on very good behavior or as far as his professionalism is concerned since coming to the Cleveland Browns. I was always an Odell Beckham, I wouldn't say hater, but it's just thought like, hey man, you need you need to fucking grow up and kind of, you know, stop stop sniffing yourself and talking about how great you are. Uh, because with that attitude, you ain't. Grow up and uh, realize your talent and get down with the get down. And so far, under some adverse situations where I think the younger Odell Beckham Jr. would have um, gone Terrell Owens, he's uh, been really good. And he's been, I think, from everything that I've read and everything that I've heard and all those type of things, he's uh, he's been a really good uh, teammate. He's been a really good professional and uh, seems like he has grown up to the maturation process. So because of that, uh, I never met the man personally and I don't know him personally. So to judge him as a man based on what I saw on the football field and some of his antics, you know, I mean, it might be a little bit wrong, but I'm, I'm glad to see Odell turn that corner in that part of his life, uh, you know, um, um, doing those type of things. So that's good. So good luck to you. I think Cleveland will go back a little bit more to the running game. We'll see what happens to Baker Mayfield moving forward on that. Lastly, I want to talk about Antonio Brown signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past Friday. He signed a one-year deal that includes a $1 million base salary and roster bonuses. He can earn up to 750000 if the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. 
and up to 250000 and three other incentives. Not bad if you can do that. So he can make up to $2.5 billion according to a source. Now everybody's talking about, hey man, really? Isn't this the guy Bruce Arians was talking about? Yeah, we're not bringing in Brown because uh, I experienced that when I was the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh when he was a wide receiver. No, thank you. So it was kind of like, wait a minute. In less than a year, you go from that extreme to bringing him in? Well, Bruce Arians, Coach Arians says it's an insurance policy. You know, when we don't have Mike and we don't have Chris, why not have another Pro Bowl caliber player? That's available to fit our camp and fits everything else. So why not? We have a good we have good players. You can't have enough of them. And you know, speaking about Mike Evans, who hasn't been able to fully practice since he suffered an ankle injury in Week Four against uh, the Raiders, he was targeted three times and only had one catch. So we don't know what's going to be happening moving forward with him. Chris Godwin has missed some time uh, first because of uh, head injuries and now because of a finger injury. So. I understand that logic, but, you know, this is Antonio Brown. Arian said that he's matured, and I believe in second chances. You know, anybody wants to say that Tom picked him. Tom didn't have Tom didn't have nothing to do with it. This was something Jason and I have been talking for a couple of weeks, ever since the injuries to our guys. When the time was right, we would see if we could pull the trigger and fit it into what we want to get done. And we'll see if Antonio does what I think he's going to do. He'll be fine. All right. All right. That nonsense about, you know, Tom didn't have Tom didn't have anything to do with it. Eh, yeah, Tom, might, Tom might not have made the final decision. I'll give you that. But I think that Bruce Arians was kind of like, you know, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, this is fucking Tom Brady. It's not like, hey, yeah, fuck him. We're bringing him in anyway. <laughs> Screw it. So I'm, quite, I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, Tom Brady had a little bit say in the matter. Again, it wasn't a, well, we don't want him, but Tom said, I'll give Arians enough credit for not going down that road, but to say that he was not, uh, he was not talked about, he was not, uh, uh, you know, the table, the thing wasn't brought up, I think it's nonsense. All right, with me, dying my way, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm through. So, I want to thank you very much for listening to the pro. I found my porky pig. I want to thank you so much for listening to the program, to the podcast. Don't forget to check out Wendell Wallace, the YouTube channel, the video portion of what I'm doing. I hope everybody stays safe. I hope everybody is wearing a fucking mask in public where it needs to be worn. I hope everybody is taking this virus seriously. And for those who aren't taking this virus seriously, I hope that you are only being around those who understand your ignorance and not taking it seriously. So if you're going to get somebody sick, if you are going to kill somebody because you are too ignorant, you are too stubborn, you are too bullheaded, you are too hubris to listen to folks, at least the folks that you are going to be getting sick and and killing will have full knowledge of uh, what they're getting themselves into. But other than that, go ahead. Don't forget to go out and vote. Always remember, have that conversation with someone in terms of a different environment, different race, different place, different thoughts, different feelings. For those in the majority who need to be educated about what the minorities, about what the poor, about what the underprivileged, about the oppressed, are going through, 
and you want to have your opinions about what we should be going through, what our thoughts and feelings should be, what we should be doing, your thoughts and opinions, who've never been in this example, who've never walked a mile in our shoes, who've never been in our situations, who doesn't know what it's like to be poor, doesn't know what it's like to be African-American or black, doesn't know what it's like to be Hispanic coming over here, doesn't know what it's, doesn't know what it's like to be Asian and have some asshole saw the virus, a China virus, for those of us who aren't women and don't have to go through the stuff that they have to go through being women, for those of us who aren't gay and don't realize and don't understand or are not educated enough to understand what the gay community is going through, please shut the fuck up. Please do not interject your thoughts and your feelings about anything. Just shut up and listen. Listen, learn, learn, listen. Shut up, listen, learn. Take the learning, take the education, Go across, go across the tracks back to your community and then educate. And we can start that virus, a virus of education, a virus of understanding, a virus of unity, a virus of love. I guess you could say a virus of positivity. Music. <laughs>